0: This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 78, What's So Secure About Social Security, with Bill Rinaldi.
1: Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to our latest episode. I'm Holly Bach and with me here in the studio today is Mark Willis. Hey Holly.
0: Hey everybody.
2: All right, wonderful. Well, we have quite a treat for you guys here today. Um, This is actually going to be an interview episode. So we brought in a specialist for this one. Um, In our last episode, as you guys know, we spent a lot of time exhaustively going over um, a number of different, I guess, sources of passive income. And one of those sources that we brought up, and it was just kind of like a brief little blurb but we really felt like this one deserved its own episode um, and that's social security and so why why social security well social security we wanted to talk about it a little bit more because a it's something we get a lot of questions on that it seems like people really have no idea you know the question isn't like necessarily a specific question it's always wait I know nothing about this <laughs> mm-hmm. you know I'm like what should I know what do I need to know and so we mm-hmm. felt like it could be of value to uh, you guys, our listeners, because it would certainly be valuable to our clients as we found out. Um, to do an episode fully devoted to Social Security. Um, But in order to really do this topic justice, we wanted to bring in a specialist on this topic so that we could make sure we're hitting all the right points and hear from someone who really knows um, knows this area. I mean, like this is his his thing. So really wanted to share him and his thoughts with you. Um, And his name is Bill Rinaldi. And so wanted to share a little bit about him, share his bio a little bit, and then we'll go ahead and jump on into that interview with him. Uh, So Bill Rinaldi is a Lehigh University graduate. Um, He is a regional vice president for Security Mutual Life Insurance Company of Binghamton, New York. He is a leading U.S. authority on social security and its impact on retirement planning. He has an extensive background in life insurance, business and investment concepts, and computer technology. In 2015, he was the featured presenter in a series of Social Security webinars sponsored by Trusts and Estates Magazine and WealthManagement.com. In 2017, he was a featured guest on Laura Adams' Money Girl podcast produced by Macmillan Publishing. Mr. Rinaldi is a certified financial planner. In addition, he's also an accredited estate planner, or AEP. He is married with three children and two grandchildren. And so just want to um, have you guys all listen to Bill Rinaldi. Yeah, so why don't we start off here uh, just with, you know, what is Social Security? Uh, For those that may not be super familiar with it or maybe not even understand all the facets of how it works.
3: Well, Social Security was started uh, in the 1930s as a, a form of uh, a government-provided uh, health care program, basically, uh, where a certain percentage of your income uh, gets withheld from your pay. Now, in 2019, the percentage is 6.2%, and um, it goes up to $132,900. $132, so, 6.2% of your income gets withheld up until that amount, and then nothing above that amount. Now, keep in mind that Medicare is a separate charge. That has no limit. That's 1.45% of your income, and there is no limit. If you make a million dollars, you're going to get cut off at Social Security. You're not going to pay that much. You're not going to pay anything on any amount above 132900 However, with Medicare, it goes up uh, forever. Mm. So, uh, but I want to get back to something uh, that you talked about, Holly. And yes, you are correct. Uh, that the fact is that the majority of people rely for the majority of their income in retirement on Social Security, and mm-hmm. that's pretty scary because the the average Social Security check this year is only somewhere around fourteen hundred dollars a month. So that's if you're relying on that. Uh, just to to uh, give you your retirement income, you're going to be coming up a little bit short and you're going to have a, a big problem when the time comes. So you really have to plan in advance uh, to get that right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you do the math on that, you know, 1500 a month, you know, can you live off that? And if you can't, you know, maybe you shouldn't be viewing Social Security as that, you know, kind of safety net that's like, oh, well, you know, Social Security will take care of me, so I'm not going to bother doing anything else. It probably won't work out so great um, with that kind of mentality on it.
3: Yeah, I I suppose 18,000 a a year would go further in some places than other places, but there's Mm -hmm. no place where it goes a long ways. I'll put it that way.
2: Yep, yep. No, I think that's a great way of putting it, because certainly costs of living can vary very greatly from not only state to state, but even cities within the states. So, perfect. Right. And then, so who all qualifies for retirement benefits? I mean, how does that work?
3: Oh, yeah. What happens is they withhold this money from your pay, and you essentially have to work the equivalent of 10 years to qualify for your own personal Social Security benefit. So if you only work eight or nine years or something like that, you've paid into the system, but you don't have a benefit to show for it. So uh, the minimum is 10 years. What they do is they take the highest 35 years of earnings that you have. So if you wanna get a, a significant benefit from Social Security, you really need to work the full 35 years. Now, there are other benefits where you don't have to qualify for a personal benefit. There's this thing called a spousal benefit Uh, which is kind of an anachronism today, but uh, if you had a working spouse who went out and worked outside the home and earned money, and then you had a non-working spouse who might have stayed home and raised the family, that non-working spouse would be entitled to a spousal benefit of 50% of the uh, primary worker's benefit. So you don't necessarily have to work the 10 years to get some sort of benefit. There's also a survivor benefit too if your spouse uh, is deceased, uh, but generally speaking, if you want that personal benefit, you got to work a minimum a minimum of around ten years.
2: All right, perfect. And then, uh, Bill, you wrote a fantastic article um, talking about Social Security and some of the the most common mistakes that people will make when they you know kind of go to claim their Social Security. Um, so, what you know are those mistakes, and what makes them so common?
3: Well, it, it's just my personal observation from, from having done this a long time. I see the, the same mistakes over and over again. And the, the thing I want to emphasize, Holly, is the understanding if you make one of these mistakes, it's going to cost you money for a long time. As a matter of fact, it's going to cost you money every month for the rest of your life. So my mm-hmm. approach has always been... Um, you put a lot of your money, a lot of your money goes into this system. You really owe it to yourself and your family to make sure that you get it right and you get as much back out of the system as you can. So I, I, I've noticed these common mistakes that keep happening over and over again. And uh, number one, and I think the biggest mistake of all, is just uh, trying to figure out what to do based upon conversations with the people in the Social Security Administration and not uh, engaging the services of some sort of financial professional like you who understands how the system works. Uh, The problem with uh, going to Social Security directly yourself is they are uh, uh, prohibited from giving you any sort of uh, advice on what to do. For example, you may go there and and you're 62 years old. You say, well, I can collect $1,500 a month now at age 62, or I can wait four years. And even though I waited four years, I get an increase. Now I'm going to get $2,000 a month. Which one of those two is better? Well, the social security personnel are not allowed to answer that question. So I think it's very important that you engage the services of someone who knows what they're talking about and someone who understands what your concerns are as an individual.
2: Mm-hmm. So, okay. And, you know, ultimately, they're working for the government, you know, kind of where does their allegiance lie, perhaps, and how motivated are they to really try and help you out or, or maybe give you some of those tips, like, not very, they're not necessarily have you have your best interest in mind. And so when it comes to something as important as Social Security, um, certainly want to make sure you're talking to someone that has your best interest in mind before you make these decisions. So.
3: Oh, absolutely. And, and Holly, understand one thing here. Uh, every social security employee that I've ever talked to has been conscientious and polite, and they, mm-hmm. they try to do what what's best. The issue is that they don't know anything about all your other personal details.
2: Yeah.
3: They don't know how long your spouse is going to work. They don't know how much money you have in other places that maybe you can draw upon uh to extend your social security claiming period and things like that so again you really do need to get uh, someone who knows the full picture before you make mm-hmm. the decision so mm-hmm. yep but that yep. that also leads holly into the second uh mistake i see people making uh which is not considering what's called the survivor benefit on social security uh too many people, I think, make their decision based upon what's best for them as an individual without considering their spouse. And I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm deciding whether I want to collect that $1,500 at age 62 versus waiting till age 66 when I can collect $2,000. One consideration is the fact that my wife would get whatever I if she outlives me, she would get that benefit, whatever one I pick. So maybe it might be best for me to think I'm gonna pick the fifteen hundred dollars because I might not live that long. I might not live much past 70. So why mm-hmm. would I wait? I start by picking that fifteen hundred dollars. But my wife could outlive me by ten, fifteen years. You see? so yeah. it becomes much more important for her if i take the 2000 rather than the 1500. This is something that so many people miss when they're trying to figure out what to do. They only look at their personal benefit without considering this thing called the survivor benefit.
2: Yeah, because statistically, you know, the two of you or like, you know, either one of you, the two of you how you far, how long you live could be longer than any one of you individually. So the benefit is kind of, you know, lasts longer than just a single life. So that has to be taken into consideration. That makes sense.
3: Oh that's that you nailed it perfectly Holly. And the other thing to consider is that a lot of times there's an age difference between the two spouses as well. Mm-hmm. If there's let's say a 10 year age difference, then that may that's another calculation there and that makes the 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 decision even that much more important. So
2: Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. I like that. How about uh, number three? What's the third mistake people make?
3: Yeah, the third third mistake actually goes back to the first mistake. The first mistake talked about um, relying too heavily on Social Security personnel to make your decision. The third mistake is not applying for all the supplemental benefits. And the reason I say it goes back to the first mistake is because when I see something done wrong by Social Security, this is where it comes in. A lot of times they miss what are called the supplemental benefits. We talked about a little bit about a spousal benefit, that's one of them. We talked a little bit about a survivor benefit, that's another one. So these are the types of things that you gotta you really gotta search for to make sure you understand.
2: Yeah, and it all goes back to people, you know, can't know what they don't know. <laughs> so when they don't know about these benefits, they don't know that they're available to them, then they, you know, could just go however long without ever receiving you know, money that they are otherwise entitled to just because right. they had no idea it was even available.
0: The
3: the, the fourth uh, mistake I see people making is not considering, considering what's called the earnings test. And this is what happens to so many people. As you probably know, Holly, the uh, most common age for people to collect Social Security is age 62, which is the mm-hmm. earliest possible age. For an individual or a spousal benefit. Uh, but a lot of times people think they can continue to work while collecting the Social Security benefit. And that works fine once you get to your full retirement age, which is age 66 or age 67 or somewhere in between. But prior to age 66, if you're gonna collect your Social Security, then you really need to stop working and earning a wage because the way the program works is that if you make in wages more than $17,640 this year, they're going to take your benefit back. And it's going to be $1 of benefit for every $2 over that number, that limit. So it's mm-hmm. quite possible for you to apply at age 62 and then not get anything because you're still working.
2: Hmm. Which at that point you're, only hurting yourself because you could otherwise be deferring it and, you know, getting a little bit of a you know, bonus for each year you wait, or you would receive more, you know, for each year that you wait. And so to take it early, get nothing for it, it's going to be extremely counterproductive. So how about uh, number five?
3: Yeah, number five. And then the last one is, is trying too hard to maximize your benefit. And uh, when it, it's funny, when I talk to accountants about this, about this, they love it because I get deeply into the numbers of how the benefit is calculated and all that stuff. But the bottom line is this. uh, Social security replaces more of your income if you're a lower income person. The way the formula works, they apply different percentages uh, of of your average monthly earnings so that someone who is a low income person Is better off and gets a better return really out of Social Security than a higher income person. So, for a higher income person, you can look up online what the maximum number is. I think for someone 66 this year, it's 2,800 a month and change. And you may say, I want to get the max. But in order to get the maximum benefit, keep in mind they're withholding 6.2% of your income every year. So, is it efficient? If you can control your income or decide whether you want to keep working, you wouldn't want to keep working just to bring up your social security benefit at that point because mm-hmm. it's the, the amount that your benefit is going to go up isn't going to be worth anywhere near the amount of money you paid out of your pay to uh, into the social security system for those last couple of years. So that's the only mm-hmm. point I want to make. Uh, you can try too hard to maximize your benefit but chances are it's not going to be worth it financially if you can control it. Social security income is taxable and it can be up to 85% taxable depending on your other income. So if, you can, if you're in the early stages of your retirement and you can manage your other income, you can um, keep the taxes on your social security lower so there's almost like a double savings that occurs if you figure out where you are and you go through the math every single year to figure out maybe how much to withdraw from whatever retirement plan you have. So that that's the bottom right. line. Um, people always apply for Medicare at age 65, and they think that it's free. And the major, the major medical, Medicare Part A, is free, except mm-hmm. for all that money you, you paid in <laughs> since you started working. Other than that, it's yeah. free. But yeah, uh, exactly. so but but there's a second part of Medicare, which is Medicare Part B, which covers things like doctors' visits and, and, and tests and in, inpatient uh, uh, procedures and things like that. That is not free. You got to pay separately for that. And almost everybody does sign up when they turn 65 for Medicare Part B. But how does this relate to Social Security? Well, I'll tell you how it relates to Social Security. That Medicare Part B premium, uh, comes off the top of your, uh, of your social security payment. So people are in for a, a bit of a surprise when all of a sudden they notice that they what they thought they were going to get from social security is not there. Mm-hmm. You follow? So, uh, and that could be a significant amount of money. Let me give you an example of how much this costs. Uh, in, if you turn 65 this year, 2019, Uh, basically the minimum amount is $135.50 a month. Now, it can go up a lot higher than that. It can go up to $460.50 a month.
2: Mm.
3: What's the difference? Well, the difference is it all depends on, like the Social Security taxability, it all depends on your other sources of income. So Mm. if you can manage that source of income you can not only save income taxes on the money that comes out of whatever plan you have, but you can also save an enormous amount of money on, for example, Medicare Part B. And you'll get a lot more out of your Social Security because the Medicare Part B costs uh, less. Now, the way it works yeah. this year uh, is that you, um, if your income is 85000 or less as an individual, Then you pay that minimum amount, which is $135.50 a month. But as your income goes up, the cost of the Part B goes up to the point where it can go as high as, as I mentioned, at $460.50 a month. And this all gets back to the whole idea of getting someone, uh, a a, a professional, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, a, a financial professional to help you figure out what to do here. Because if you can figure out a way to manage that taxable income, it's all based on this complicated formula. It's called modified adjusted gross income. MAGI is the, uh, the term the government uses. Uh, but if you can keep that MAGI below the thresholds, you can save a lot of money. Now, one way to do that, and I know you and, you and, you and Mark have talked a lot about uh, using a 401k, for example, versus using life insurance. Well, if money comes out, let's say, of a life out of a life insurance policy, that doesn't count as taxable income, exactly, yeah, right. So not only are you saving money as the money comes out on on income taxes, you're also saving money on your Medicare at the same time, and uh, not many people seem to to grasp just how significant that can be.
2: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I was just going to um, mention that too because it's, it's taxable income. So people hear that and they might think, um, you know, if they just hear, oh, you know, if you're above a certain income threshold, they might think, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about that. Income is income. If I'm, you know, if I have a lot of money, then it is what it is. But you're exactly right. It's it's taxable income. And so money coming from tax-free sources um, doesn't have that same effect. It kind of flies under the radar in a way Of these calculations, and so as long you know, if you can just it doesn't mean you have to you know live on nothing. You can still have a healthy income coming in, and then still be able to receive you know more of your Social Security benefit, not have it taxed as as greatly, and cheaper Medicare Part B too.
3: Yeah, and you know it's funny because as you know, Holly, I'm I'm a CFP, a certified financial planner, and we CFPs like to do a lot of academic type studies on things like this. And I Mm got to tell you, I've seen so many uh, of these studies and articles where people compare withdrawing money from a 401k versus using some other tax-free source. And nobody ever talks about this. It never comes Mm -hmm. up. But when you think about it, I mean, you can save uh, over $300 a month off your social security if you manage it properly. And, yep. and it, as I said before, the uh, the average check is only $1,400 a month. So you really can, can, can uh, make a big difference if you understand how to handle this. And by the way, one last thing on this subject, understand that there's also a, another part of Medicare, Medicare Part D, which is the uh, prescription drug coverage. Understand that they have the same type of arrangement where the cost depends on how much you make. Now, it's not quite on the same scale as the Part B, but it is the same idea. Okay, so it's both Part B and Part D where you can save a lot of money if you manage your income properly.
2: Okay, yeah, so, I mean, arguably, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of sounds like, to an extent, managing your other sources of income and you know trying to maybe kind of stay below those thresholds with your Social Security is almost... Perhaps close to being more important than just how you file it in the first place <laughs> to an extent
3: uh, to, it, it is it is very very important and I, I if I can just tell you one quick story Holly I, I had a, a client call me uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, she couldn't figure out she's a, a widow living on a fixed income couldn't figure out why her social Security check was going down from last year to this year mm. now. Is that realistically possible? The answer is not really in the sense that your Social Security benefit very rarely goes down. It certainly can go up because of cost of living. It can certainly go up because you worked an extra year or something like that. It almost never goes down. But what I had to do was go through the numbers, and she was just below the threshold, the $85,000 one year. And then the following year, she went just above that threshold. Just above the $85,000. So even though she only made maybe $3,000 more, it kicked her into a higher bracket on the Medicare Part B. And as a result of that, she was ending up with uh, less money in her Social Security check every month.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is
3: the type of thing that that confuses a lot of people.
2: Okay, so those are those are some of the the most common mistakes that people are making when claiming Social Security. But um, Bill, as I'm sure you know, there's also this other topic with Social Security that people love to talk about, <laughs> and <laughs> that is kind of the future of Social Security. And you know, is it going to be there for me? I mean, I can't even I I can't even count the number of times I've heard someone, um, especially kind of who, who's earlier in their working years, you know, in their 20s, 30s, that's like, oh, I'm not even counting on it being there. There's no way it's still going to be around when I retire. Um, But, you know, what are what are your thoughts on on that? And, you know, whether Social Security will still be around in the future?
3: Well, I have to tell you that I I hate to admit this, but I've been in the financial services industry for a very long time. Okay, (laughs) And I remember back in the mid 80s, saying that exact same thing i'm going to collect i'm going to turn let's say they turned 62 in 1985 and they decided to collect early with the thought that it was not going to be there anymore now if you made that decision back then and you're still walking around I mean, first of all, congratulations. It's great that you're still around because <laughs> you're, you're, you're getting up there. But uh, you, you did make a mistake if you did it for that reason because Social Security is still around. And I, I got to tell you, Ali, you know, this This is a subject that got a lot of attention this past year uh, because they, they talked about the Social Security Trust Fund and they made the comment that the trust fund uh, balance is going down, went down last year, 2018, Uh, for the first time in a couple of decades. That's what prompted a lot of this talk. Uh, Mm -hmm. It only went down by a little bit, first of all, and I think it can be fixed fairly easily if the people in Washington have the courage to do it. It really wouldn't take that much, but I've given up trying to figure out what's going on in Washington. The only thing I can say is that uh, things would have to get really, really bad before they started messing with social security benefits. Mm-hmm. I think there are other things that they would cut first, but the social security, they would really have to be, a, all hell would have to break loose before they did, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. and, and part of the reason for that is that um, people have always treated social security as their money, as that account, as their benefit. Uh, the government doesn't necessarily see it that way. But <laughs> because of that, people, there would be riots in the streets, I think, if yeah. they ever messed around with it too much. So they may run into problems with other areas. There, I think the, I think it's fair to say they're, they're spending too much money now. But mm-hmm. um, I don't think Social Security benefits are going to be reduced anytime in the near future.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Now, what they might do is raise the age age to full retirement age, you know, when they started social security back in 1935, full retirement age was 65. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it's 66, working its way up to 67 for people born after 19, after 1959. But what do you think has happened to life expectancy during the last 80 plus years?
2: Exactly. Yeah.
3: It's gone up by a whole lot more than two years. So the result Mm -hmm. of that is a lot more people are collecting now relative to the number of people who are putting money in.
2: Mm-hmm. so they
3: do need to make some fixes there's no question about it
2: yeah but overall you know there's there's hope it could still be around and maybe with some small adjustments you know it's not entirely unlikely that those that will have paid into it you know their whole working life will still be able to get something from it at the end of the day
3: yeah that that's my opinion yeah
2: yeah okay Perfect. So then, uh, maybe just here in our, our last couple minutes here, um, was wondering if you could just kind of talk about some actual, you know, tips or action items for our listeners that they could be doing now um, to either, you know, think about Social Security, better prepare for Social Security. Um, and I'm thinking about kind of different age groups here, different life stages. So, you know, maybe what would be some, uh, you know, action items, things for people to be thinking about for you know, maybe in their 20s to 40s that aren't on the cusp of collecting by any means, but what could they be doing? And then how about the people that kind of are almost, you know, right there looking to retire, um, you know, in their 50s and 70s?
3: Sure. Well, let's say with that first group, uh, I think that first group, the younger people just need to understand that uh, Social Security was never meant to be your sole source of income. And mm-hmm. uh, you need to start thinking about some alternatives the sooner, the better. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say. Like I said, I, I do think the program is going to be there, but you're going to need more than that. If you want to retire, Absolutely. So, uh, you can, you can figure, you can try to figure out what your benefit is going to be in the future, but with that much time between now and then, I don't know if that's going to have a lot of relevance for you yeah. as a person. <laughs> So I, I would focus more on those alternatives. Uh, how are you going to accumulate as much as you possibly can now to have a pool of money that you can draw from later on to, to fund your retirement? So that's, yes. that's, that's my opinion for the younger people. Now, with the older people, I think you really have to start digging in and looking at the Social Security situation and seeing what you can do. Uh, the first step would be to go to ssa.gov and get your statement. Now, if you're a married person, both you and your spouse have to get that statement. But that's going to tell you a lot. And I know I do a lot of these plans, these Social Security plans. You really do need to see the statements for both of the two spouses to try and figure out what the best claiming option is. And it's mm-hmm. not always easily apparent. But now, if you're older, if you're in your fifties or sixties, now is the time to really start looking at what you can, uh, what you can uh, get from the system.
2: Mm-hmm. So. Yep, absolutely. And those other sources of income that might be you, know, you might be depending on in retirement, and how are those possibly going to affect your Social Security, like you talked about with our um, bonus number six mistake. So.
3: Right. exactly. So, yeah, everybody seems to think that the whole concept of Social Security is is relatively simple. It's not. (laughs) It's extremely complicated. That's because the government makes these programs complicated, but also because of those other alternatives that you have outside the system, outside the Social Security system that you've got to consider.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So ultimately, you know, work with a professional that knows these things, understands these things, and they'll be able to help you kind of walk through it as best as possible. So that'll that'll help out for sure. Okay, well, thank you so much, Bill, for your time. Thank you for sharing with all Our listeners here, I hope that they got some valuable information out of this. I know I did, so hope they did as well. Um, But I also just want to ask that if they did have additional questions or they wanted to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way for them to be able to reach you?
3: Uh, I'd say probably the best way to do it is by email. My name is Bill Rinaldi, but the I comes off the email address, so it's W. Reynald W-R-A-I-N-A-L-D at dot com.
2: Okay, perfect. So now you guys know how to reach him. And again, we'll make sure that that email address is in our show notes for you guys to see there as well. So thank you so much again, Bill, for your time. And hope you have a great rest of your day and stay warm.
3: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Holly. Take care.
2: All right. Well, I think now you guys can see why we brought on Bill, right? Was that not great? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, I know I I, I shared it anyways, but um, just learned a lot um, in talking to him and hearing from him, just kind of what those most common mistakes that people make are um, in Social Security and when they're making those decisions when they go to apply and and what can be potentially missed, the opportunities that can be missed as well. So really enjoyed having that conversation with Bill and, and hope you guys did as well.
0: Yeah, I'd say that, you know, it, it was shocking to me when I learned that the majority of people rely on Social Security as their main source of retirement income and that average income is only $1,400 a month. Mm-hmm. That's a huge, massive problem and part of the reason why we do what we do in our firm. Uh, so you know, I've kind of always thought that Social Security is sort of like the free public library of retirement planning. You know, nobody really pays attention to it, but it's great to have when you need it. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the public pool down the street, right? It's not the cleanest pool in town, but at least it keeps you cool in the summertime. <laughs> uh, so one of the things we wanted to quickly bring up uh, is that we have we offer a free Social Security evaluation uh, for any of our listeners here. This is the the freebie of the month from not your average financial podcast. Let's say. Uh, we literally have some software that runs thousands of scenarios to determine exactly when you and your spouse, if you have one, should take uh, the Social Security benefits that you are due. Uh, and it literally writes out exactly uh, out of you know thousands of scenarios exactly when we should start those benefits, take the spousal benefit, drop this benefit. So it gives you the most possible income for your life expectancy. If you'd like to see that report done for you and your uh, your spouse, if you have one just email us at hello at nyafinancialpodcast.com, or you can just book a meeting with us. That's probably even more direct because it gets right on our calendars. Just go to nyafinancialpodcast.com, click on book a meeting, and schedule a 15-minute meeting with us. We can talk a bit about what we would need to gather from you so we can run that report for you.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I guess, you know, kind of makes me think about what Bill was saying. That report it won't be run without getting additional information from you. It's not just going to be, you know, what's your age, what's your what was your last year of working income. I mean, we're going to need to know your whole situation so that we can give you the most accurate evaluation on your social security. Like Bill was saying is so often people's downfall. They just say, "Hey, I'm I'm this old and I'd like my social security check," you know. And so then the person who's the only person they're consulting is the Social Security representative. And so then they use those tiny, you know, just those little pieces Lists of, of information. information you gave mm-hmm. them. And then that's it. You know, and then they use that to kind of do everything for you. Whereas this is an evaluator that is meant to take everything into account. Um, for you so that you're really maximizing Yeah.
0: So again, it is a part of our overall complimentary financial consultation. It's our our 30,000 foot uh, flagship strategy session with our clients. It includes social security. If you want to be a part of that conversation, if you're open to having that meeting with us, just go to uh, notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, click on book a meeting. We'll be happy to chat with you about this. Any other final thoughts, Holly?
2: Yeah, I think we uh, covered it pretty well. So perfect. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future.